let's go back to 1951, when the Festival of Britain opened. Something Britain devised halfway through this century as a milestone between past and future to enrich and enliven the present. A diverse place of serious fun and light-hearted solemnity, reclaimed from the bomb rack and the decay of years. Here in the heart of London. After the grey of the war years came strawberry pink and bright blue. Whole walls of decoration are made of squares of coloured canvas pulled taut in geometric shapes and triangles to be lit with a variety of colours. A screen is made by hanging mirror-like coloured balls against the distant chimney pots of the city. Arches underneath the railway are painted strawberry pink or bright blue. That was Cecil Beaton's description of the 1951 Festival of Britain. On its rainy opening day, thousands gathered on London's South Bank to marvel at the shiny new things of post-war Britain. We had the huge Dome of Discovery, the new Festival Hall, the futuristic Skylon, the Exhibition of Science, displays of industrial wonders, pavilions, murals, pleasure gardens, sculptures, and a twinkling recreation of the solar system, which you reached by climbing an escalator. And apparently the stairs charmed Winston Churchill so much that he kept zooming up and down them. Celebrations and events were held across the country, making sure the festival spirit wasn't confined to London, of course. Worcester held a choir festival in its great cathedral. York Minster hosted choral and chamber music and mystery plays. And the city itself held a river carnival and a Georgian masked ball. Edinburgh displayed the best of Scottish architecture and crafts with its living tradition show. Bournemouth hosted performances from Sadler's Wells and the Young Vic. And the festival ship Campania travelled to river cities such as Liverpool, Newcastle, Glasgow and Hull. But it wasn't all ballrooms and ballet. Some of Britain's smaller towns had more (laughs) humdrum celebrations, such as Corby in Northamptonshire. One of their festival programme days was devoted to the unglamorous notion of... Preparing for nuclear war. The local Civil Defence Corps joined with the fire brigade and they gathered on playing fields to show the public how they would rescue us in war. But they had to tone down their ambitious plans when concerns were raised about potential damage to nearby flats if they began hosing water everywhere and tossing smoke bombs about. So instead, they sensibly focused on a demonstration of rescue skills. And four local schoolboys climbed to the roof of a block of flats and were then 
Lowered by pulley from the top of the flats, much to the excitement of dozens of onlooking children, together with the festival queen, Miss Rita Crawford. Lord Kilmuir, the Lord Chancellor, inspected a civil defence review in Hyde Park. It was part of a nationwide campaign to recruit more members and to show how civil defence can help in an emergency. This mock-up showed the results of a nuclear attack and some of the techniques used for rescue. The auxiliary fire service put up 150 jets of water and got themselves pretty wet in the process. So the Civil Defence Corps, weren't they a serious bunch all about duty and responsibility and leadership and patriotism? If so, why were they mucking about with festival queens putting on a show? Firstly, a reminder of who the Civil Defence Corps were. They were a voluntary organisation created after the war to bring together ordinary people who'd then be trained and ready to save lives at home if Britain went to war. Most women could join, as could most men over 40. Although this age range was brought down a bit later so they could encourage more men to join. The reason they had to recruit from older men is because if war did happen, younger blokes of course would be called up to fight so you'd immediately lose them. So no point recruiting them and training them up just to see them trip off to war. So they recruited women and older men and having been formed so soon after the Second World War formed under the Civil Defence Act of 1948 they naturally attracted a lot of people who'd served in a civil defence role or in an active fighting role in the war. And while that made perfect sense, it may have created a bit of a problem for them in terms of their image. In this new nuclear age, this new Cold War, Britain's civil defence was naturally seen as being drawn directly from the last war. There was no great new innovation, no splendid modern new equipment, for this new Civil Defence Corps, it just seemed like the same people preparing for the same blitz all over again. And so there was a problem. Well, two main problems. One, the Corps was seen by many as old-fashioned. And two, surely it was totally futile against the new type of war we'd be fighting. What good are ladders, tin hats and a rescue squad against the nuclear bomb? Matthew Grant's excellent book, After the Bomb, tells us that a Home Office survey from 1960 showed that many people viewed the Civil Defence Corps as an anachronistic survival which has lingered on from the war. And so that's why we saw the Civil Defence Corps out on the playing fields with the Corby Festival Queen trying to wow the crowd with their rescue skills. Displays like this happened up and down the country at county fairs, village fets and country shows. 
local civil defence corps volunteers would get into their smart uniforms and wheel out their equipment to try and drum up interest and recruit more volunteers. It was a hard task. There were surges in recruitment every now and then, uh, particularly when the Korean War started. And Clement Attlee told us, the fire that has been started in Korea may burn down your house. But numbers were never as high as the authorities wanted, and so we had constant recruitment campaigns. Adverts in the papers, films in the cinemas, door-knocking campaigns, displays and demonstrations. So let's look at some of these local demonstrations. Let's go back to 1958, to Reading, where the local paper, the Reading Mercury, reported that it was Civil Defence Sunday. The local corps were having an open day, and the public were invited to watch them demonstrate their skills and show off their equipment. The highlight of the day was a simulated bombing raid, where they used recorded sound effects of planes and crashing and roaring, and then our civil defence guys ran out onto the field to rescue fake casualties and show us all how it was done. And how do you top that? Well, later in the day, the Reading Mercury tells us, during the afternoon, a helicopter arrived and with almost uncanny manoeuvrability, delighted the crowd by dancing in the air. The Mercury goes on to tell us, while an air of seriousness was generally prevalent, there was also a gallus spirit present. This was emphasised by the hundreds of youngsters who, between eating hot dogs, hot dogs are in quote marks, as it was probably something cool and modern and unusual back then, so hundreds of youngsters were eating hot dogs prepared by the mobile kitchen staff and licking ever-popular ice lollies, were allowed to play soldiers at the army's different exhibitions. So that was the fine show put on in Reading. What about Crewe? Let's go up to Crewe, Cheshire, in 1956, where their Civil Defence Corps put on a similar display at the local carnival. And they were listed on the bill alongside modest dancing, dog shows, tennis tournaments and mammoth firework display. There was clearly no problem with listing the Civil Defence Corps alongside these other fun and trivial things. Maybe even more in Congress, we have an advert in the Somerset Papers in 1965 saying the Civil Defence Corps will have a display stand at Clutton Flower Show. And it says, with uh, maybe a hint of desperation, your inquiry will be welcome. Now, who is the target audience there? Who's attending a flower show in Somerset? I'd assume it's the type of person who isn't going to help you shrug off your image as an outdated Dad's Army type organisation. I'm being unfair, maybe, on those who would attend Somerset flower shows in the 60s, but that's just what I'm assuming. And perhaps it's a safe assumption, because, yep, the Civil Defence Corps was disbanded three years later. Patrons of Clutton Flower Show obviously weren't much help. Now, I'm being light-hearted here, obviously, and I certainly don't mean any disrespect to those who served in the Corps, 
But I have to say that I agree with Clement Attlee himself when he said back in the 40s that World War II style civil defence in the nuclear era was futile waste. And was it something even more sinister than a mere waste of resources? Turning again to Matthew Grant's book, After the Bomb, he speaks of the Civil Defence Corps as, quote, taking the strain of promoting atomic survival. And he goes on to speak of them as providing a public face of nuclear survivability, which the government knew to be false. So were they set up to mislead us, to let us think or hope? That nuclear war would be survivable? That nuclear war would be just like a particularly heavy, nasty night of the Blitz? And by fostering the attitude that nuclear war could be survived, was it thereby building up support for the government's nuclear deterrent, the government's nuclear weapons? Was the Civil Defence Corps just a facade? We'll look more at the Civil Defence Corps in the weeks to come, I will zoom in next week on their different sections and what you'd be actually trained to do if you joined up. And let me repeat, I mean no disrespect to those volunteers. They would have been invaluable to us in a repeat of the Blitz, of course. But their tools and training were just no match for the nuclear bomb. You can't survive an all-out nuclear war. And why would you want to? Yes, so with um, this focus on the Civil Defence Corps, uh, you might have guessed it's because I'm currently writing the Civil Defence Corps chapter of my book. Remember, you can support me in my nuclear research and podcasting and even have your name in the acknowledgements of my book by signing up to my Patreon. This week I got that lovely beep beep on my email to tell me that Richard Allum had joined, so thank you Richard. Let me also thank Ed Freshwater, who kindly increased the amount he donates each month. So thanks, Ed. You're a top dude. Please look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo if you want to support my nuclear work. And thank you also to the no-name kid, Adam Gilmore, Craig Bushman, John Haynes, Tom Stickland, Yannick, Alan Christie, Helen McHale, Douglas Greenshields, Colin McGee, Sean Milson, Brian Outlaw, Damien Ryan and Peter Lee.